0: I've learned to really understand where people come from when they don't understand about mental ill health. The only thing we can do in this life is to tolerate people being different, but to just find your people, find your support systems.
1: so this may not be a good fit for everyone. Please take that into account before you listen. I do hope you'll listen because there's so much to learn. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I'd love to talk. Please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at SuicideNoted. Massive thanks to all of the attempt survivors who have joined me on this podcast and to everybody who listens. Thank you. If you'd like to help us out in addition to listening let people know about the podcast. You can rate and review the podcast if you listen on Apple, that helps as well. And you can also make a financial contribution. We do have some overhead production costs. So if you'd like to help us out in that way, we would not say no. Regardless of how you choose to support the podcast, thank you. Finally, I've got another podcast. It's called Grit, True Stories That Matter. It's part of a larger organization. And in the coming weeks, we are going to open up a new program which will help suicide attempt survivors craft and tell their stories. I will put a link in the show notes so you can learn more if that is of interest to you. Today, I am talking with Chandray. Chandray lives in Massachusetts and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Hey, Chandra question for you. Well, one, thank you for being here and joining me. Thank you. Do you consider whatever you're going to presumably share with us a suicide
0: attempt? Is that how you would uh, uh, describe it? That's a really good question because I feel like we don't have enough of a lexicon to describe what Mm. this looks like and feels like because we have a limited vocabulary for this, I guess, or maybe I'm not familiar with the vocabulary i would have to say yes i would say this was me attempting to take my life but what was really surprising when i sat down to tell the story to you on one of your shows called Mm -hmm. seven by seven was that uh i never thought of this as an attempted suicide before i started putting it together for your storytelling show um because what was different about mine from the accounts that I read about and hear about is that it was completely spur of the moment that the thought had not crossed my mind before. Mm. I had not reached out for help before. None of the things that I hear to be precursors to suicide had happened to me.
1: I've had 70 some interviews so far for this podcast. And that is you're in the minority. Yeah. Usually people are thinking about it for a long time. Even when it's impulsive, it's not that impulsive. The act in the moment, they might do something, it's impulsive, but they've been ideating for years or for months. And then, and so the way you describe it, it almost sounds like I actually don't even quite understand it. Is it possible to have those kinds of feelings and even do what you did, which we'll hear about hopefully in a moment, without having any pre existing anything it's like hmm, is that even possible
0: um and i think i'm here to say i think it is yeah it's very surprising to me yeah this is why i think that maybe we lack an adequate vocabulary or lexicon to talk about what this looks like so for me i don't since then i can think of times where i have ideated i have had suicidal ideation or i have had thought very fleeting, very passing. Even as I had the thoughts, I knew that they were just, there's a kind of catharsis in even thinking morbid thoughts. I never for a second thought that they were actual ideation. I don't know right. what the what the actual definition of ideation is, but I doubt that I had it. You get really frustrated and you think, oh my God, this would be so much easier if I just didn't exist. But mm-hmm. the incident that I told on your show, which really made me think about suicide in a new way, was before all of this. Um, mm and if you'd like i can tell you about it so
1: just to be clear i do want however you want to describe it it doesn't necessarily need to be in like story form leading up to this this takes place around when
0: 10 11 years ago
1: leading up to that your decades of life
0: mm-hmm.
1: and i and there's no way to accurately describe one's life it just we don't again yeah. there's issues with lexicon or language were you mostly okay yeah
0: i would say so Okay. I'm, I'm actually, I was, and I am, and I will continue to be an eternal, incurable optimist. Optimist. Um, yeah. It's my defining quality. It's not something that I take pride in even because it's not all that it's cut up to be. Like being an optimist sometimes means that you refuse to accept things that are wrong, right. which you need to do sometimes if you want to go past them. But no, I, uh, I was okay before then. I will say if I had to think harder, I have felt I have been lonely my whole life uh, because we moved a lot so I never got to really put down roots my brother went to boarding school when I was six and I missed him very deeply and every time we moved it was a different country and a different culture so i've I've constantly struggled with my identity and establishing myself but I wouldn't say that any of them any of those ex- experiences gave me any kind of melancholy to my personality. It was quite the opposite. Life taught me to make the best of it. And you know what? Something There's always something good to make you feel better about things. Because I always felt something good. doesn't necessarily mean, I mean, nothing horrible happened to me. I wasn't abused. I wasn't starved. But yeah, I think leading up to that point, loneliness is something I have known. Mm-hmm. Um, but that particular day, all that happened to me was that I was exhausted mentally and physically. And I had zero thoughts until that point of doing something to hurt myself. But the pain of that moment was just so much. Hmm. It was just the perfect storm. And I did something stupid.
1: So if you've heard the podcast, I will go and I'm going to ask you to stay in that moment. Like a good story, one might say. Stay in that moment. So, and you'll say stuff and I'm like, oh, I got to ask about that. I got to ask about that. You had said the word, I believe it was, you were mentally exhausted. Is that it? Mm-hmm. What's going on in your life 10, 11 years ago-ish? Mental exhaustion is is probably not, you don't just wake up mentally exhausted one day. Yeah. Stuff's happening, right? Sure. So can you share a little bit of what is going on that you're feeling this way yeah. day in and day out? Sure. Least?
0: Sure. And this is, again, where my story, I feel, is an aberration and not, like like you said, a minor- in the minority, is mm-hmm. nothing particularly awful was going on with me. I had a very stressful work environment in that it was a toxic work environment. I and I had a colleague who was just terrible, like just entering the office would send my blood pressure up. I had the people I worked for were not appreciative. They mm-hmm. overloaded me there was no efficiency, all the usual workplace dissatisfactions. I loved my actual work. I hated, hated, hated my workplace. Mm -hmm. So that was going on. It was an ongoing battle. Probably the biggest thing of all was that I had a small child. My son was not yet two, and he had not slept through the night. He hadn't learned how to sleep through the night. So I was not, I was basically sleep deprived for two years. And, you know, now that I think about it, I kind of lied to you. You asked me, was I okay until that point? I completely forgot. I only realized now that I had a very difficult pregnancy. And the last three months of it, I was, I had to be in bed bedrest. And basically from my last trimester, when the baby was 20 weeks old, I started going into labor and there was zero chance of the child surviving. And I had to go into the best hospital in the, in the world, Boston, um, Tufts New England Medical, where they had the most advanced NICUs, neonatal intensive care units. I was confined to a bed with contractions happening every ten every ten minutes, and I I, I I'm not ready to tell the story yet. It was so hard. But basically, for every week they would tell us, "Your can be born any minute. It's not going to survive." And then, as the weeks ticked on, "Oh, it's going to survive, but it'll be maimed and i will be brain dead, and this and that." And every week, my husband and I would sign a DNR. Thing they would ask us because I I was I was having contractions. I was gonna go into labor any moment. So they always had a signed order from us saying what they wanted us to do if baby came. So every week we told them things like do not resuscitate, do not do extraordinary measures, we want to hold the baby while it dies. You know, it was very, very painful. And I stayed totally strong and chipper through it and It was wonderful. My baby arrived almost on time. Yeah, it was a bit of a minor miracle that that happened. They they haven't seen very many people with outcomes like mine, given what was happening. Mm. But yeah, so for me, maybe having the baby was a little bit more traumatic than it would have been if things went normally. So Mm -hmm. I think I was mentally exhausted from holding myself together those last three months because I had to keep my head on straight. Uh, but I would say 99% of it was just having a baby that wasn't sleeping at night, a challenging job, a husband who traveled probably four or five times a month, and he would be gone for chunks of the week. I'm from India. I live in I live near Boston in Massachusetts. No support, so I was sleep deprived. I was stressed at work. My husband and I were bickering and fighting like all new parents do. So I didn't feel supported and understood. And that's about the sum total of all that was happening. Nothing extraordinary.
1: Well, I mean, sure, maybe not extraordinary, but it adds up.
0: It does, exactly. I mean, Chandra,
1: I have sleep issues, and when they really ramp up, I'm like a different person. And if I had anything going on, that would just exacerbate it so much. Now, I'm obviously not comparing, but I am saying, for what it's worth, we do not talk a lot about sleep in our culture and the importance. We don't go out of our way to say it's bad, but what we do, we do by saying how great it is when you hustle through life and you, you work harder than everybody else, which basically means you're getting up early and going to bed late. Oh, you need eight hours sleep is considered like soft, it's like, really yeah. soft, but the, the messages are so mixed. And I wonder, this is a di- conversation for a different day. Sometimes I think the messages for men are a little different than women.
0: Yeah. I, I was just you know? going to say, I, it's interesting. You would say that because I think. You know, it was about seven or eight years ago, maybe oh, farther back, the person who founded the Huffington Post, Ariana Huffington, she actually blew this out of the water. She was so exhausted one day that she fell and she she fell asleep. She broke her nose really badly or some, she had some dreadful injuries. And you should just look her up. She She started this huge conversation about the role of sleep. I'm also a poor sleeper just by nature. That baby is now in high school. So, but there's all these terms that I'm familiar with sleep hygiene, um, but you're right. The pace of life uh, slowing down. Yeah. And then, you know, part of the, part of that phase also for new parents, what compounds it. And I know this from being a new parent, from talking to new parents is all the anxiety for most of us who've only, who are doing it for the first time. For us, it's the only time you don't know what the hell is going on. And the kid's always freaking sick. If your kid's in daycare, it just really adds up. You're up all night because you're sick. You're worrying because they spike these high fevers. You're worried you're going to break this little thing somehow.
1: Chandra, there are so many things in our culture where you have to prove, this is a very slippery slope, what I'm about to say, so I'm not suggesting anybody should be able to have a kid if they want to. Like, it's your life. It's your body, of course. But, like, I got to take a test and study to learn how to drive a car right? Like, I gotta, like, I can't just get in a <laughs> car. I've gotta to learn some shit
0: about oh, no, cars,
1: about traffic, some just to give me a chance not to get in an accident. Parents, are like,
0: good fucking luck! <laughs> no, no, but it, there is a system. At least when my son was born 14 years ago, we had fantastic resources. Yeah? The, yeah. We had, uh, I mean, my Bible was what to expect when you're expecting. I found wonderful resources online. It was great, and because I get I get really into researching things. We had a lot of help, but well, it doesn't matter how much help there is. That thing's in front of you. It's, your, it, it's not even some romantic notion of, oh, my child, dewy-eyed with delight. No, it's none of that. It's like, I've got to keep this thing alive, and yeah. it's making strange sounds. Right. <laughs> and, by, and at 3 o'clock in the morning when you haven't slept for four days and your body's hurting from giving birth, it's not quite as easy to break out the book or google things as it is later so yeah it's a it's just a tough time and there's a lot of support groups now for new parents when i was a new parent, they were less so and i think this is where in the old traditions where well in india people lived in joint families but even in america where families weren't trans look at you and me and how we're transplants Mm -hmm. right before people tended to live oh you're not a transplant
1: no i'm just thinking to myself. I've, I've done it all wrong. <laughs> like you could argue some people would disagree. I don't care. Like a child is going to be better off with their elders around so that the parents can sleep. And then there's more, there's so many reasons why that works. I know people will roll their eyes, especially North Americans. Maybe I don't care. We, well, That's with the funny. way we live, it's b- some great stuff, but it's bizarre. Yeah, no, it's it, impossible. It's-
0: it's it's not a role you I thing. it's a completely accepted conversation that has been happening for a while the yeah. joint families shouldn't have broken up and this whole thing of moving away from home is you know we should do a talk someday on parenting and modern parenting so the truth is like right in that phase that I was talking about because I didn't have my parents to watch my kid while I slept or give me advice, you know, usually it would be, you'd call your mom at three in the morning and say, mom, why is this child making this sound? And she'd be like, right. Oh, you and your brother did it. Don't worry. Just Absolutely. do this. and that. Right. Yep, my yep. mom's in India and yep. I, I did do it a little bit, but not as much. One of the things that, that we've done, because we adult evolve and we adapt, right. Is I made my own village. Remember there was that book about it takes a village to raise a child. I think Hillary Clinton may have written it. She did. Um, but she, so she was the first one you to probably
1: actually, got it ghost. Written. It was probably ghost written,
0: I think mean, it might, it probably was. But but she took the bull by the horns, and she she actually talked about it. She's yeah. like, you can't do it anyway. So yeah, there's a whole different conversation about parenting. Yeah. But back to being in the moment. For yep. which We've gone to many different. That day. Things. That day, I was at the end of the line, after incremental challenges to my mental balance. Hmm. My reserves of energy were depleted, physical and emotional. Yeah. And I think that's all it took to snap. I mean, if I go to a psychotherapist, maybe they'll see that there was more going on. But I can tell you until then, I had no thoughts of, I, I was too focused on keeping my kid alive and giving him a good life. And I was having a blast. It felt like I was sad. Having my son has been one of the best things I've ever done. He's just, he, he's been a lodestar star in our lives. When my son was just under two, and I'm talking about this moment where things were just really, really hard and the way new parents have it, I was exhausted and stressed in multiple ways. I found myself when I went to pick up my son from daycare, that there's two traffic lights that occur from my parking lot where I get off the train. I take the train into work to Boston and then I get off and I get in my cart. There's two parking lots between my parking lot and my son's daycare. I came up to the first light and I remember that I i remember really clearly that I was crying really hard and I'm on the commuter rail. I even remember that I was holding it in the whole time on the ride in from Boston. You can't cry on the commuter rail. No. The, commuter a little, <laughs> the subway is a little more forgiving in many ways because it's so jam-packed, but the commuter is a little she you have these nice uh, seats and all. Do we know why you were crying or there's no why? Just exhaustion, I think. I don't remember the exact event, but there were many days those days. I cried a lot those days. It was exhaustion, something that probably happened at work. Maybe my husband had said something. Maybe all of the above had happened. Mm -hmm. But I just remember crying. And I I do know this even now. I'm almost 50. But when I get really tired, I cry. Mm. When I haven't slept really well and I'm just exhausted and my body feels like it. But I was crying really hard. And it wasn't just, oh, I'm tired and I'm crying. Just things were so bad. Things just felt at that moment like, oh, I just can't. I am literally being crushed under the weight of all the nastiness all around me. And I have nothing left to deal with this. And I came up on the traffic light and it turned red. No, it hadn't turned red. It was red when I pulled up to it. It's not like it had just turned red. And just in a split second, I don't know where the thought came from, but I floored the gas Mm -hmm. through the red light. Um, but I do remember that, like in a fraction of a second, I found myself doing a little checklist to say, okay, if I don't show up, at, before I floored the gas, try and presumably get hit by a car and be put out of my misery, I first thought to myself, wait, if I don't pick up my kid, is my husband in town or is he traveling this week? No, he's traveling. It's fine. Does daycare, when they call me because I haven't come to pick up my kid. Do they have his number? Did I remember to update that on the form? Because I think I hadn't initially. Yep, they've got that. And the third thing was something about work or will anyone miss me? And I don't even remember what the third thing was. I did that check in a fraction of a second and then I floored the gas. And I made it through the red light. No one hit me. Nobody hits you. (laughs) More importantly, I didn't hit anyone and hurt anyone. And then as I came out of that, you know, it takes a few seconds to just, (sighs) like my breath was cold. Like, what did I just do? And you'd think that that would have been like someone's p- pouring cold water on my face or slapping me out of it. But by the time I'd caught my breath from what I'd just done, the next light came up. I found myself doing it again. So it couldn't have been, it wasn't really just a fraction of a second impulse. Mm-hmm. Like maybe a minute went by between the two lights and I did it again. I okay. forwarded the gas again through a red light and I made it through intact again. Okay. And then I pulled into the parking lot And then from then on, I was fine after that and I didn't try anything else. But the the other story you remember is I remember sitting in the parking lot of the daycare, just shaking. I couldn't even go in to pick up my son because I just couldn't believe what I had done. Mm -hmm. This was really like sobering up. I was still really tired. And now I was crying for a different reason. Thinking not only what would have happened, like this kid that I'm living for, he would have not had me, right? Mm-hmm. Right now, this seems like a good thing. Oh, nobody, everyone's better off without me. But really, he wouldn't have had a mom growing right. up. But more importantly, what shook me up is what if I had hurt someone, you know? Mm-hmm. Me getting put out of my misery is fine. A few people will try to move on. What if I had maimed someone? But in that moment, as I was shaking and trying to process this, I, I flashback to a similar moment when I was 14, and we had just moved I, I grew up in Africa and the Middle East but we moved back to India when I was 14 and we lived in a joint family with my uncle and my aunt which is the way a lot of Indian families work and up, I remember my my aunt and my uncle were going through a really rough patch they were newly married I heard them yelling in their bedroom the way I often you could often hear them yell and we lived in a small apartment so everyone heard what was going on everywhere else and then I was passing by their room and I, everything went really quiet. So I kind of peered in and I saw her, she actually set fire to her sari, which is the Indian outfit that women wear. And then she started screaming and my brother came and put it out. And I always wondered why she did that. I mean, I knew things were very bad, but in my 14 year old mind, all I've been witnessing then is a lot of fights. She was she, she was often pissed off. And you know, I had I had labeled her as a drama queen and someone who's just overly emotional. I didn't have the maturity to understand. And then that happened and I I didn't know what to make of it. And I love her dearly. And I don't think I ever quite got it mm-hmm. until, oh God, how many 20, 25 years later, that I was in the parking lot trying to pick up my baby. Mm-hmm. after i'd done that and and of all things that day came back to me in my car thinking oh i think i know why she did it mm-hmm. i think i know maybe she Can't snapped just like this yeah ass thing i just tried to do because there was no forethought my my he and my uncle were fighting he had uh, struck a match to light a cigarette he put it down he put down the matchbox." And she just looked at it. She picked it up and she set fire to her clothes. So, yeah, that's the other connection you're making. And I I, I think maybe hers was, I, I'd have to ask her sometime. She's doing great. Um, I'd have to ask her sometime with it as impulsive. But I know that she had really been in a bad place. Things were really hard for her. Some of the reasons were similar to mine, but some of them were even, she had financial mm-hmm. difficulties. In the
1: that would be an interesting conversation to hear from her and see what uh, she can recall and
0: I actually checked it with my brother because he put out the fire. He, he put her clothes out. Um, and it's funny for she slapped him so many times because she didn't want him to stop, but she didn't want him to stop. You know, mm-hmm. it was just out of her mind. But yeah, so I hadn't tried it before. What I took away from that is that he doesn't always have to. It doesn't always follow the rules that, you know, you know, not everyone has the same symptoms. Not every, You can't you don't know you don't know what someone's going through and you don't know what they're going to do next. And I was shocked that someone like myself would have done something like that.
1: Hmm. Now you crafted this story and this was last year sometime. Yeah, I think so. And you told it on, and I don't know how many people were there, but there were some other storytellers, a handful mm-hmm. of people in the audience. who so they heard that outside of that, those human beings,
0: mm-hmm. how many other
1: people know about that day and what happened?
0: No one. I haven't told anyone. Your show was the first time I even said it out loud to myself. My husband and my son were in the room while I was telling you the story on Zoom. They'd never heard it before. My husband had never heard it before.
1: Did they react in any
0: way? They're both very quiet men. I think they understood. I think I told the story that helped them understand things. But I do want to talk to my son about it as he gets older. You know, with teenagers, there's so many mental health issues. Yes to tell him like you know there's a fine line because I know with, with suicidal ideation sometimes hearing the story can plant the idea it's you know suicide is known as a as a contagion disease it's actually the National Institute of Health or the CDC or someone they call it the contagion disease that if you're even a little bit in a bad place right there's so much uproar over that show 13 Reasons Why and that's why. Um, Malcolm Gladwell has this book called The Tipping Point, which I really love where he talks about, you know, when a certain phenomenon takes off. And he has a whole chapter to this, that suicides tend to occur in clusters. I'm not even sure how to bring it up with my son, but I'd like him to know that it's not all the same. I don't know how, what he'll do with that information, but just to know if only to make him increase his empathy for what people are going through, that just don't assume because you don't see the signs. Someone is not hurting or at the end of their tether, you don't
1: know Yeah. The idea that people are hysterical or something is not particularly accurate sometimes, but not often. Right. The handful of African-American guests I've had have all, and and it could be coincidence, have all spoken to how in their experience, community wasn't so on board with quote unquote mental health stuff. Yeah. Probably didn't help. Same can be said, or is it a little different? Uh, No, same, same,
0: same. I'm so glad you're asking me this. I would have brought it up myself if you hadn't, because uh, you might be doing it out of cultural sensitivity. But absolutely, each culture is different, right? They have their uh, rules. And generally, depression, psychoanalysis, therapy are considered very Western, modern, very Western, actually more American concepts in -hmm. the Indian community in India, as well as the Indian American, you know, what we call the diaspora, the people who live in America who are from somewhere else. People who are here definitely are more aware of it because of what goes on around us. And the India of today is also very, very woke right? Mm -hmm. Because information travels so fast. I know so many people in my family who are actually getting therapy, that they're not ashamed of it. Yeah, But they are still a really small minority. And I have friends here who have lived for 25, 30 years in America, who have outright told me, oh, I don't believe in depression. I don't believe in therapy. They don't believe in depression.
1: It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's it's considered a cultural construct. And I, and I totally, I've thought about it so much. Uh, I've actually lost people to suicide back in India. I have people in my family who have taken their own lives. Uh, I mean, not immediate, but yeah. Um, and I think I understand a lot of the reasons why, at least that I can speak to Bengali culture. I don't claim to know the other. With India, there's so many different, mm-hmm. There are so many Indias within India. It's like there's Americas within America. Um, I can't claim to know about the others, but I think for most of my parents' generation's life, life has been so hard. It was so hard to even just get a job because India is a country where there's lots of people and very few jobs and not as much resources that those were the pressing problems. You don't have time to think about your feelings. You just do. And,
1: and I get that. I mean, That kind of makes sense to me.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not healthy though because what right? I've also seen in my family is people repress things. Mm-hmm. And so it leads to a lot of negative behavior that becomes normalized which does not have to be normalized if you were if you had better mental health but for that you have to admit that there was mental ill health to start with right yes but in our culture it's not seen as ill health it's not seen as unhealthy to say if you're really struggling with something to not reach out to your mom and say i'm really struggling you know that say uh shake it off (laughs) or they'd say well don't you see people starving outside and it's true it's It's really hard to even
1: about it being true but you're right
0: yeah it's hard to even go and say oh ma i'm so tired i'm so depressed because i'm so i'm so tired my baby won't sleep she and she'd be like have you have you opened your eyes step out of your nice apartment complex and there's beggars with kids who are not eating. And really, you want to tell me how tired you are? So, and my mom wouldn't have to say that, but I'm saying that I understand when people said it. So yeah, I mean, I personally, my mom is very, very understanding. So I can tell her anything and she was really there for me through my son's childhood, as much as she can be on another continent. But I think a lot, like my aunt that I was talking about who tried to set herself on fire, she had zero support. She lived in a joint family where the problems were so huge, she wouldn't have been able to speak if she had spoken. And I've seen this happen time and time again. I've seen people give each other advice and say, just think of how lucky you are. You know, that's supposed to somehow bury the pain you're feeling.
1: I don't get it. But I'm also a guy who grew up in the United States and, you know, whatever progressive culture or family means. So for us, you know, my parents weren't great about it, but they were okay. And and I think the society at large was mostly accepting of that kind of dialogue, that kind of conversation. Not always. There's plenty of people say stupid stuff. I wonder about, well, a couple of things. So I would imagine that the next generation is probably becoming a little bit more Americanized. It's probably different. We have a common friend. She's a little younger and her parents don't talk about that.
0: Yeah, she's like so. And
1: they, they, right. I'm sure you've had that conversation. Mm-hmm. You don't get why she would have. And she tells certain kinds of stories, kinds of stories that I like. I appreciate very gritty. And her parents are like, yeah. even her sister, by the way, who's only a couple and she was younger.
0: Mm-hmm. Why
1: would you talk about that? Why would you do that in public? Yeah, I don't get it.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I know a lot of people almost treat it like an indulgence, like you're being self-indulgent. And even that, I understand to some point, yeah. like with everything else in life, context is key. Mm-hmm. The lenses that they're looking at it from, the perspective that they have, make Tri- it seem trivial, right? Because they've yeah. had through so much worse, probably. And they have never had the luxury of thinking, really, to them, thinking about your mental health is a luxury. right? Until it disables you, and even then some people are in denial. So I've uh, I've learned to really understand where people come from when Mm -hmm. they don't understand about mental ill health. And I think the only thing we can do in this life is to tolerate people being different, but to just find your people, find your support systems, which has become so much easier now with the internet and Mm -hmm. support groups and just more conversations about everything because there's so many places to have conversations now, right? When Mm -hmm. all this was happening to me, there was no Facebook. Mm -hmm. There was no Twitter. I think there may have been YouTube. Maybe there wasn't YouTube.
1: There was probably Friendster and MySpace.
0: Probably. Right? So like this, well, Maybe not. I might be exaggerating. This is 2008. Very
1: early. Like, so even it if you existed, early. it didn't matter. Yeah.
0: I remember my first storytelling show was about a miscarriage I had. And that was even worse. Because mm-hmm. to find a support group for that was really hard. I found right. some vague forum. And then I did a storytelling show. And it was amazing because no one talks about it even now there's people
1: want to talk about it oh yeah listen chandra i did a thing about my mental health and my struggles and and my own not wanting to be alive and how dance helped look we talk about mental health all the time now let me tell you i had about 30 people come up to me
0: that's so great
1: because even though we talk about it we still don't really talk much about it so when somebody gets up on a stage and talks about it and hopefully does it in a way where you know it's kind of digestible and crafted in a way that's working as opposed to just vomit, they're moved. They're affected. They need to almost say, Hey, that was something. Appreciate that. Thanks. Something. Right. They that's, there's a reason for that. It's just
0: In fact that the talk that I did on miscarriage, it was well attended. It was a big show, but what really, really moved me is in the next few weeks. I think I was contacted by two different people. One was a psychiatrist. Another one was my friend whose psychiatrist told her to both these psychiatrists had actually assigned my show as uh, required watching for their patients in group settings as well as single they would had group therapy where they all sat and they watched my talk cool. just so that these Very people cool. were hurting so bad could mm. feel how there was light at the end of the tunnel my talk was really, really raw. I just didn't pull any punches. yeah. And that was really cleansing. Because they were like, someone said it for us now. So when when I hear,
1: and I'm doing it through my own lens here, of course, though, when I hear that it's self-indulgent or self-whatever, I don't agree. When you're able to share it, you've mm-hmm. processed it, you've gone through it, you've done yourself whatever to the point where you can then share it and it helps people, that's the opposite of selfish to me or self-indulgent, no. self-anything. And you well, could do maybe there's a little bit of both going on. You're doing a lot of me, 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 but you 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 give it back, and you're you're doing something that there's not a lot of things that can replace that. That is truly a unique sure. gift to well, give.
0: Somebody. But I think there's a difference between selfish and self indulgence. So selfish yeah. is when it's me, me, me. Self indulgence is where you decide to give yourself the luxury to wallow in certain in something right I see, I so see. to people of our friends parents generation or yeah. my parents generation or some of my pe- people my age sure. why I think talking about mental health and depression and therapy seems like self-indulgence is because their lens is there are so many bigger problems that you are weak somehow for letting your thoughts for letting your thoughts yank you around like this And you're self-indulgent. It's like you're wallowing in your self-pity to do this. And, you know, I've stopped arguing with people like that Uh to say that, you know, the most I'll say if they're receptive is, I mean, I I don't confide in people. But I'm saying when I hear them say this about other people, the only thing I'll allow myself to say to people like that is, you know, I, I understand why you might think so. It might sound really like she's that person is just completely all inside her head when there's so many worse things around. All I know is that when you really hurt at that moment, you can't see the big picture. I'll bet you, I'll bet you $200 that that person, when they got better in a few days, they were able to shrug it off or at some point in their life, they might be able to shrug it off because they will see the big picture, but that doesn't mean they're paying any less in that moment. You can't say, don't be sad about a breakup because my friend has cancer. They're not, you can't compare. You just can't. It's intense in the moment all across.
1: You're nicer than I am. I do my best to see things from other perspectives. We're all limited in some, to some degree with that. I kind of just see them as wrong. I know that's a terrible thing to say. I don't no, no, buy it. I don't true. think what they're saying is helpful in any way.
0: Oh, it isn't helpful. And I'm not saying for a second that it's right that they say Yeah, it. And,
1: I, and I think they're doing damage. I have to say, it. I yeah. know that I might get shit for that. I would love to know if there's research on people who said, you know what? I had the parents or the uncle or aunt who acted that way. And I ultimately was way better off for it. I mm-hmm. want to hear those comments. I want to yeah. hear that. If it's out there. No, no.
0: No, I would no, love no, to I hear agree. it.
1: I just don't think it's true. I think it's so.
0: so i So I'll, I'll clarify, if somebody, when I say that, when people say that they're self-indulgent, I'm talking about personal conversations. And yeah, you're yeah. right, that is wrong because they're saying it to me today, tomorrow they'll say it to a young person or someone who's actually suffering and what's it going to do to them? They'll be even more invalidated. They'll be even more isolated. They'll be even more hopeless, right? So I'm not saying it's right for them to, but I'm saying that to get to know how to counter something like that, you have to start by understanding it. And I find that if I lecture people, I am never heard, never. But if I'm able to commiserate and say, I understand why you might feel that way. You've seen so much worse, haven't you?
1: But oh, And that's good. why I said that yep. at the
0: most, all I'll say is, you know, I, and I feel like if you validate people's point of views and they actually listen to you. Sure. And then, so all I'll say is I, I understand, you know, that it does seem like it's a storm in a teacup, but you know what? It's her teacup and it's her storm. And it feels really awful right now, but, and I think yeah, she's going yeah. to come through it and they're going to be okay.
1: <laughs> good for you. Really? I mean that. I just think that for most people, if they, they've got their teacups. And if they were just being honest, they would, it's hard period. It is like, hard. I just don't buy it. I don't, I don't buy it that like, they're that tough. I just, I think it's all bullshit.
0: So I'll tell you the other narrative that I think is incredibly unhealthy that I've, I've talked to so many people from my culture about is uh, well, my uncle who took his life uh, about five years ago now, he'd been depressed for a really long time. And he, someone said, Oh, you know, he just wasn't strong enough. He he just, he ran out of strength. He was so, he, he was, uh, he was so brave, but he just couldn't fight it anymore. He just wasn't strong enough. Uh-huh. That made my head explode. And I said, I no. think you've got it a little bit backwards. backwards yes. I think he was strong enough to make it as long as he did. Exactly. The fight that he fought yep. to stay alive as long as he did. I'm not saying it's okay that he killed himself. Of course, I trade a lot to have him back. But I think when you say that, oh, he gave to weakness, it wasn't that. You don't understand what his days are like. I don't understand right. what his days right. are like. Apparently, his days were so full of pain yeah. that this is what he had to do to stop it. Yeah. Of course, he didn't right. have to do it. Maybe there were some other options. that We know there were some other options. Don't paint him as being someone who was weak. He was yeah. strong to fight as long as he did. He just couldn't fight anymore because he'd used up. His strength—that's yeah. what it was. I can understand. There's a, Everyone's got a finite amount of mental energy, but don't say he was not strong enough. No, no.
1: We'll never be able to have an answer here. But I would—I would put a lot of money on if I could compare the strength that people who are suffering that kind of way to not die, essentially to stay alive. Outdoes out marathon runners. Outdoes people who are climbing the corporate ladder. Outdoes anybody who's doing the whatever runner. they're doing to hustle and get ahead and all the shit. Any day of the week, I'll put what they've done against you and they will win.
0: Absolutely. There's nothing
1: that compares to that kind of pain and just making it another day. Then again, I have a podcast on suicide, so I'm not normal.
0: (laughs) That's right. And I think that's what it comes down to. This kind of connects to the self-indulgent point that Mm -hmm. when people think that suicide or depression is a function Mm -hmm. of not having strength. Mm -hmm. that's that's what self-indulgence is just the flip side of the coin oh Mm -hmm. you've got this little thing and you want attention or you want the you want the the feeling the high you get from feeling you know feeling low is a high when you meet teenage girls who do a lot of drama that are very hormonal Mm -hmm. every little thing is oh my god my life is about to end it comes from a need for attention it partly comes from hormones but partly it comes from that they're feeling out what it feels like. They're testing it out. What does it feel like to feel so, so sad that I'm just sobbing my heart out? There's an adrenaline rush to that. Mm -hmm. So it's not completely fallacious that there is some self-indulgence in depression. But yeah, if you're talking about a kid who's talking about a high school, something silly like my makeup not being on right, as opposed to that could be the self-indulgence. But if she's worried that the makeup isn't right because... It means that she's going to be shunned from a social g- group that just crossed the line from being silly, self-indulgent drama to that storm in a teacup thing. It's her teacup, man. You don't get to say that she's being self-indulgent. That's has got yeah. professions on her life. And
1: if you're the parent and it's every day, all day, I get it's not easy. Like, I, you know, I get that. I just would hope that people, I think you need to check your defaults. If your default is immediately, that means that they're just being self-indulgent and they're not appreciative exactly. of how that's the challenge. If you're, Absolutely. that's your default, if you go there sometimes fine, but if your immediate thing is always that, that's as much about you Absolutely. as anything else.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's a lot of these narratives that I think we need to change. And or that's why I think mine is one of them that suicide doesn't always look how you think it's going to look. It doesn't have all those warning signs. And yeah, the scale of it. I'm a geographer. I work with maps and pattern recognition and something that looks, you can see the same patterns that happen in a small area. Repeat when you pull out and look at a big picture. And that's what it is. The kid fussing about her makeup and me is a smaller version. My medium version is I'm really tired and I'm just out of energy. And the really big version of that is I have a terminal disease, I have no job, or I've been abused. That's the biggest scale of it. But that doesn't mean any one of these pains is any less right. valid than anyone sure.
1: else. Sure, yeah. you can't compare, it's very, it's very tricky. Yep, so this has never happened since. And if I had to ask you if you think it'll ever
0: happen again, I think I know the answer. I'm going to say it's possible because I think it didn't. I I don't know. I I think it might have happened another time in an unthinking way. Mm -hmm. It was so fleeting, that I'm not even sure if it happened or not. But uh, I think I know better than to say that it's never going to happen again. It definitely, before it happened, I had no inkling that it could ever happen. So I can tell you, I'm alert for it. I can tell you since it happened, I was so shocked that someone like me could be like this, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that I, uh, I have a lot of defenses in place. Yeah. I find myself really, I've tuned into my negative thoughts because I have realized now that I have them. We all do. Right. Mm -hmm. We have that negative inner voice that always tells you crap. I've learned to hear mine, even Mm -hmm. when I'm in the depths of despair for eh, many of the things that bring despair into our lives. We each have our own. Yeah. You know crosses to bear and i've got my own versions of them yeah i'm not gonna see it's never gonna happen because the, i didn't see that happening right. but also i i have i have seen shadows of it happen to me again i've never quite taken it that far and i and i thank that first incident for it I, mm. I sobered myself i realized that it could happen to me and i knew that in a way it's a very powerless feeling that i hadn't planned for that heavens i could have been dead or right. you know yeah. So now I'm kind of on high alert for it all the time. Or when I go into a low, I'm, I'm hyper aware of it. Like, am, I, am I getting really bummed out here? What, what's happening? Mm-hmm. Or I will do like, uh, what are they? <laughs> my son likes playing those flying games, countermeasures. Mm-hmm. Like If I feel myself getting in a very dark place, I'll find something to do that's positive. Because I, I've seen what can happen in a split second when I'm really bummed out. I don't trust myself that it'll happen again. So, yeah, I wish I could say it's never going to happen again. But what do I know? Yeah, you don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean,
1: there's no guarantees, right? I, I don't think. Anything else relating to uh, suicide that you want to talk about? I, I don't want to keep you all night. I know you've got a lot no, to no, get back.
0: No, thank you. I think I think we hit on the main things. The, the two main things that I felt like I had to contribute to your podcast, to this show, would be, A, that it doesn't always look how you think it's going to look. And it can come on all of a sudden. Yeah. So, which is not good news. I don't mean to be a bummer to say that, oh, you can never protect yourself up against it. But again, you know, sunlight is the best disinfectant. If you know that it can happen like that, maybe you can be a little more self-aware and not self-aware And that don't be depressed. Realize when you're getting depressed or real right. have some, which is really hard to do when yeah. you're feeling really bad. And if you live alone. It really
1: is. You're in a, you're in a little weird, weird bubble.
0: Yeah, but you know what
1: to say like, hey, babe, <laughs> hey, babe. So uh,
0: actually, so my, my relationship's a little different with me too, is, you know, when this was happening, there was no one to say, hey, babe, to me then, and it isn't now, but I've developed my own defenses. You have to get it ready before you're ill. Yeah, you have to get you have to be ready for it before you enter a dark space. So a lot of my not even middle aged friends, even women I meet in their 30s, when we'll get into talking about life, I make it a point to tell everyone who's open that find what your passions are, find what defines you beyond your job and your role in a family. Find it or or start a search for it. You don't have to find it. It's not like some treasure at the end of the rainbow. There's 50 things that could give you joy, but make a place in your life to do some things you love because you will need them yeah. when things are down, when you are low, you have that even if you have one thing that you can do that makes you feel good for five moments Mm -hmm. that can be the difference between running a red light yep and actually putting on the brakes. and then the other thing I wanted to talk about was the cultural thing how there is still so much stigma and I think because I've faced it all my life because I'm from that culture I really do think Understanding why people have that attitude is the first step in trying to combat it. Mm -hmm. And when you do meet people who tell you things like, "I don't believe," i "Can't believe someone actually told me I don't believe in depression," okay then that's
1: uh, that's that is interesting. That's interesting. Yes, that's very very interesting.
0: interesting. It's weird. It's like
1: saying because it's so to me real that it's like saying I don't believe in height.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Like
1: wait. I can prove to you. Yeah. Like <laughs> it's like
0: science. What do you mean? You no, know I mean, okay. even if you haven't experienced it, if you're not living under a rock, you know how it affects people. But see, yeah. I don't believe in depression. Behind that wall is depression is self-indulgence or depression is made up. You know, there's you know, there's a story behind that, right? It, it doesn't sure, just come sure. out of nowhere. But oh, I've okay. learned to not let my head explode and to see, huh, that's interesting. Why would you say that? And then I'll try and understand what they're saying. And then at the most. Like I said, I have learned to not fight because that just makes them even more entrenched. And I'll just say, you know, the only thing I can tell you is that it's very intense for everyone and maybe we shouldn't compare. How do you know? And at the most, if I have people in common, I'll give them an example. You know that person? They look happy to you, right? You want to hear something I know about them? I yeah, yeah, know. Yeah, sure. yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Well, you approach it really in a, in a way that's probably as as about as useful as or, or effective as it can be. And there's Who probably- Who knows if it is, ideas. right? But
0: you- Try what you try,
1: yeah. yeah. And hopefully, you're not married to that person,
0: <laughs> or maybe you are, and you still maybe try. Maybe you are, you or, or maybe you're not a
1: kid in a, in a, in a house with parents like that. But a lot of kids deal with that, so it's out there. You know, if, if you're in that home with that person, it has got to be brutal. Be so oh, my
0: goodness. So I
1: empathize, man. I mean, I I, I yeah. often half joke about, you know, I'm I'm alone. I'm not. You know sometimes I think it's a blessing, oftentimes I don't. but when I think about that, I'm like, I'd rather be riding this out so than somebody who was so I'm never gonna have a partner who doesn't understand you know, that I,
0: I think thing people ever, evolve. but
1: nonetheless, you know yeah,
0: people evolve. You figure out your
1: own way to, uh, well, work. people usually evolve when they go through something and they're like, oh shit, that's what you were going through five years ago. Yeah, you just hadn't
0: experienced it yet. You get it now. Yeah. Ooh, okay. that's often what it is, right? And, and that's why it's so hard to talk to people who haven't expressed it because it's like, it's, like, it's like telling someone who can't see color what right. green looks like, right? How right. Do do that? And that's why I think empathy is the first way is people aren't being jerks. They really just don't understand it. They really don't understand it. They aren't being jerks. And as There's much something- as people
1: aren't being jerks, which I can mostly be on board with, people don't want to be depressed. Now you can argue that maybe some people do it for reasons that like you, you mentioned earlier, the teenage girl, that's cool. Most people don't want to feel like shit. Yeah.
0: They just sure. don't.
1: It's just, we, we just don't want to feel like shit. I, I we just don't. So yeah. when someone says they're feeling like shit, sure. You could, they might have all sorts of reasons that could arguably be like, but just believe them, believe okay. that they're being honest. with you. That's a better default. I
0: agree. And go I, from
1: there, as opposed to assuming all these other. But again, echo chamber, people who need yeah. to hear this aren't going to hear the words, and people. So yeah. I don't even know if sometimes this podcast. But, has any.
0: but I like the <laughs> phrase "check your defaults." It's like, we, we should all have check engine lights. Right. Check your check your defaults. Yeah. Like, have you checked your default this month? Have you checked
1: your default? <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> all right, Chandra. Right. thank this you so much.
0: Talking to you. Yeah.
1: All right. Uh, talk soon. Thanks again, Chandre.
0: Thank you. Talk to you, Chandray.
1: As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And special thanks to Chandre up in Massachusetts. That is the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Thank you, Chandre. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to talk, please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. And a friendly reminder, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, help us out by rating and or reviewing. It helps people find this podcast. And I will say it again and again. I do think there are people out there that need to find this podcast. And if you found it, you're listening to this right now. Thank you. That is all for episode number 76 stay strong, do the very best you can. I'll talk to you soon.